Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast, uh, where we interview all kinds of different species of animals, uh, from zebras to lions and tigers, uh, sometimes elephants. And today we've got a, well, she's a, a face whisperer. So we went, we went to the UK again, Kent. We went outside of London to, I think it's Gratham, and we're talking to a face whisperer. What sort of a beast is a face whisperer? Well, I guess we all whisper with our faces because our mouths are on our faces, right? So we're all face whisperers. Yeah. So very interesting. So Kim Adele, Kim Adele hyphenated, Platts, explains why she's hyphenated. And it's a story I have never heard before. So that's quite unique. And you're going to have to listen to the interview to find out. And um, I was just kidding about the animals thing. And I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And let's go straight to the interview. Hello, Kim Adele. Uh, a good friend of my family's uh, growing up was named Adele. I'm very curious how you got the name Adele and uh, why the hyphenated name. Very, really interesting. Well, it's your brand too, right? Yeah, it is. So it's my brand. So it was actually... Um, it's actually a bit of a sad story. So my brother is older than me and he's called Lee and they wanted to call me Kim, but I couldn't be Kimberly because obviously they already had my brother. So it was Kim and then Adele, but my dad wasn't paying attention when he went to get me registered and he hyphenated it. <laughs> um, so it's ended up being a hyphenated name legally because um, he wasn't really watching. <laughs> That's very cool. But yeah, it's unusual. Yeah. And it's allowed you to be your own brand. And that's often uh, what we're always talking to folks about. So let's start there because a brand is not, you know, unfortunately, its origins is you would be branded, right? Someone would uh, put a brand on you, they would, you know, tattoo their sign on you if you're a cow or if you're whatever. Yeah. So your brand was given to you. Um, so t talk about that. How did you step into it? How's that working for you now? Yeah, so it's been a real journey of discovery for me. So I spent many years suffering really badly with imposter syndrome. And when I first set up on my own, so I went hairdresser to CEO of a FTSE 250, still thinking that, that actually I was just an imposter. And when I first set up on my own, I came up with these brilliant names and then realised that actually all you're getting is me. So maybe I should just stop pretending and say, this is, this is what you get, you get me. <laughs> I am exactly what it says on the tin and therefore... Rather than come up with some clever branding, I'm just going to be me and live my values. And for the right people, that will resonate. So also very, very importantly to start out this chat, people can't see you. And I, you know, I'm, I'm more of an audiophile. I, I, can, I can read people through their, through their voice and, and how they speak. But you're a, you call yourself a face whisperer. What do you do when you can't see the face? And uh, what are you reading on our faces right now? So, yeah, so I, I'm a qualified face whisperer. And basically, face whispering is about the 43 muscle movements we have in our faces. And the study has shown that irrelevant of our age, our race, our gender. In fact, even if we were born blind, we will use the same combination of 43 muscles to demonstrate the same seven emotions. Now, there are more than seven human emotions, but we'll demonstrate the same seven. 
And what happens is a micro expression lasts one twenty fifth of a second. So it's fleeting, but our emotional brain responds 24 times faster than our thinking brain. So at the point that you think, don't show that emotion, it's already out there. So I'm kind of seeing a combination of interest, confusion, and a little bit of like surprise as you go through. And, and then obviously you're taking that on board. Now you can't see it obviously on an audio file like this, but like you, I listen very much to the language people are using. But because we've moved into a world where we're doing a lot more online like Zoom or Skype, then actually it's a great way of being able to identify if the people that you're talking to are facing any fear or anxiety, not to call them out on it, but to be able to ask better questions to provide more support. So there's probably a prescriptive and a descriptive use for this, right? So I, I can describe that I saw your right eyebrow go up when you said a certain thing, or yeah. I can figure out what you're doing. But then the prescriptive part is I could manipulate you theoretically through the screen for good or bad, like show my teeth or whatever, do a little a, a little bit of this and that. I guess that's what we do every day, right? But uh, talk about that sort of the two the two sides of the coin. You can, you can, but actually you can't mask your micro expression because it happens so quickly because it's your emotional brain. And as I say, that responds 24 times faster for you to decide to manipulate me. You've got to think about it, but your emotion will have come out first. So often they get us to, for example, go and um, be a key expert witness in a trial, not to look at what the person ended up saying, but for those momentary elements where they give themselves away. And um, the people that taught me were actually some of the experts that were behind, like, lie to me, you know, the big TV program. And it's there isn't actually a human emotion of lying. But what you tend to find is just before someone lies, they'll demonstrate an element of disgust because we've been told lying's bad. It's not it's not moral. So you'll just see that momentary piece. And it's so fleeting that if you don't know what you're looking for, you'd miss it but it is used in facial recognition software globally. It's what they're looking when they're scanning when they're scanning faces to see those momentary tells that somebody isn't feeling what they're saying that they're feeling. Um, so it's, and it's always about context. Context is always king in everything. So you might go, well, this person looks a little bit confused or they could be angry, they're very similar. I'm not gonna call them out on either. I'm gonna ask a few more questions. So, you know, is this landing the way that you expected? Were you looking at something else? You just open the conversation to get more information because, again, people will fill in the blanks. And, and as you know, you're auditory. So we tell so much with the words we use and the tone that we use as well. So once you layer in those momentary fleeting expressions of emotion, it really helps you to define the questions to then be really listening out for the language people are using. So, Kim, I find the use of the word whisper very interesting. So, back in the 90s, Steve McQueen had the movie The Horse Whisperer. We know about the dog whisperer. I worked with a guy in the space industry. He was the rocket whisperer. The thing these folk have in common was that they used their skills to direct a particular response or a particular action that they wanted from the horse or the dog or, indeed, the rocket engine. What you're talking about is different. You're talking about reading, not creating a specific response. Yeah, absolutely. I think at our base, human beings want to be listened to, we want to be understood, and we want to be respected. And if we can hold that space for people, then we can learn to understand them and we can find a common ground. So 
Face whispering really is about trying to better understand the people that you're talking to. And to an extent, that is what they did with the horse whispering and the dog whispering. They found a common understanding. And in finding the common understanding, they were able to find a way of communicating and then moving the animal to do what it was that they wanted them to do. So although this isn't around that manipulation in the same way, it is about creating that connection and that understanding, which is why they used face whisperer as their version, because that is what the horse whisperer and the dog whisperer was doing. They were creating that understanding, that connection. This is fascinating to me. Is, is there a school where you go to learn how to face whisper? There is. So, there so is. I went. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I went to a study under a lady called Adrienne Carter, who's the face whisperer in the UK, um, and I'm now qualified to teach face whispering to other people. But the original study was done by a Dr. Paul Ekman. And it was back in the late 1960s. And he went and studied a tribe in um, Papua New Guinea that had never really come into contact with any, any modern technology. And that's where they first identified these universal emotions. But then they went on to study it in Olympians that had been born blind. And even if you're born blind, these these Olympians demonstrated the exact same emotions in the exact same way. And it's such a fleeting. I mean, if you think one twenty-fifth of a second, it's like gone before, gone before you know. But it's so telling. It really helps you to level up. And the other part of face whispering is personology. So there are 37 different ways that our features can appear that help us to predetermine what somebody's likely personality traits are going to be. Now, this doesn't mean to say it will be their personality traits, just that they are predisposed to. So for anybody listening, you can't see, but for Kent and Randy, you can see. Um, so my eyes are relatively far apart in that you could take one of my eyes and put it again in the centre of the other two. That tells me that I am likely to be very, very tolerant. If you went and looked at my profile, you'll see I'm deemed to be one of the most tolerant people anybody would ever meet. But equally, if I turn to the side, my chin juts out further than the bridge of my nose, which means I'm tenacious. And again, if you went and looked at my profile, you'd be able to see that I'm a relatively tenacious, tolerant person. So, so you can so start. Can you start. can you read Randy? I, I kind of want you to read his his face, just 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 really quick, just just for the okay, listener's course. benefit. So the questions I would ask, because again, context is king. Is Randy, you don't have a huge amount of exposed eyelid which means it's likely that you're quite inquisitive and you want to ask lots of questions. Whereas if you had a lot of exposed eyelid, the likelihood is you'd like me to really get to the point um, so, that you can, so that you can move on. And then you've also, got quite, you've also got quite wide eyes. So I think you would be a tolerant person looking to, to really get to know people more. And if, could you just turn to the side for me? Because actually I need to see the profile. Right, so you're... Your chin is less jutting. So I would say that you are less tenacious, but you're actually, you've got quite a wide jaw, which tells me that you are likely to want to be in control. Would that be fair? I love that when you said, when you said his, his jaw, is, his, his chin is less jutting, he tried to jut his chin just a little bit. Yeah, I did, I did. <laughs> I, yeah, because I, I, I want people to think I'm tenacious, but um, apparently I'm not. Uh, <laughs> That was pretty good. I was, I'm impressed. There's, uh, I am very inquisitive. I do like to ask questions. I do have a need to understand not just what somebody is saying it, but I try to work out why they think the yeah. way they are and why things work the way they 
they do. As long as it's not something to do with using your hands, I'm good. So <laughs> I don't care about how to use, you know. So tradespeople are really good with their hands. I have no interest in knowing how they do that. So. No, but I think it's, it's I mean, for, for me, it's one of these things that you try and spend a little bit more time, really, with the, with the person. And again, as I say, context is king. So I wouldn't be rude enough to say you are all of these things, but they would be the things that I would be asking questions about because mm -hmm. that's what it tells me you're likely to be. So I would dig into a few questions. But it is a really easy one for people, the eyelids one. So if you come up against somebody who's got a lot of exposed eyelid, then they're likely to want you to get right to the point. So for somebody That's like me who's naturally inquisitive, I might have 300 questions. I have to work out what are the three I absolutely need to know the answer to for me to be able to move forward so that I don't frustrate the person that I'm talking to. This would have been great for me when I was about six. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I think I just kept asking questions, you know, for hours. So it would have been great to, to, to kind of know this trick. So. Kim, Adele, I think I'm fascinated by your ability and your passion around your ability, just from that simple sort of surface question about, about what you do. Really fascinated by it. I, I feel like you, you are a secret operative in the world and, and uncovering truths that the rest of us can't see, and which is really neat. So what I'm wondering is, why, why do you call yourself a coach if you're such kind of a master at reading our faces. For me, the coach, a coach is like saying I'm a human. It's such a sort of non-specific term. It, but how do you see it? So, so I guess for me, the reason I started off with a coach is one, people understand it a little bit better. But two, I think, you know, when we look at anything in, in life, we all have blind spots for a reason. We're blind to them. And actually, for me, what a coach does is it's is they stand there and they shine a light into your blind spots. So the fact that I can help you see your blind spots, as in I can see what you're saying on your face, I can see what your personality is going to be like, I can see how that I love that. I love that, love that definition of a coach. With that definition of a coach that, that sets you apart, but without that definition of a coach... I think of the you know twenty one year old down the street who has been an influencer for two years and now they want to be a life coach. So that's where I'm wondering how do you differentiate? Yeah, and, and I guess for me I'm very clear what I will work on and what I won't. So so I spent nearly thirty years in corporate life. I worked my way up to board. I still run a portfolio of, of non exec roles. So the areas I'll coach in is around leadership, effective communications, and business. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare call myself a life coach because I think, you know, how, how dare I say I could coach somebody else on their life? I'm in the middle of writing my memoirs, which is three divorces, a stalker and an evil inner critic. It's like, I haven't got wait, slow that, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Slow that down? That was like, <laughs> I, it went in my ears and I didn't quite catch it. So slow that down. Okay, so sorry. So my, I'm in the middle of writing my memoirs and it is uh, the book is called You Couldn't Make This Up, um, Three Divorces, a Stalker and an Evil Inner Critic because despite the fact from a career point of view, I had a really smooth career. I've done really well for myself. I've learned lots about leadership. I've done massive global transformations for big organizations. You know, life comes in balance. So while things are going really well on one side, things can go really badly on the other. So I have unfortunately had three divorces. I have had a stalker. I did suffer imposter syndrome for a lot of years. I also threw in for good measure, three life-threatening illnesses, 
um, two car accidents, miscarriage and a hurricane. So life's given me an opportunity to learn some resilience and turn that into how you help other people to overcome the challenges life's throwing at them. So now I'm really interested, how does a person who has 30 years of corporate experience and great success suffer imposter syndrome? What's, what's the thing? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Imposter syndrome actually impacts 70% of us at some point in our life. And even Einstein had it. So Einstein has a quote which says, the esteem within which my works are held leave me feeling like an unlikely swindler. And it's almost as if, I wonder if we need to change the label. So the label's imposter syndrome, but the reality is it's probably a symptom of being an insecure overachiever. So at the point you achieve something that you're not really certain you're worthy of, you start to panic that you're going to get found out. So I spent 20 years thinking they were going to turn around and go, oh, we put the hairdresser on the board. That's a little bit awkward. Get her off. And obviously they never did. But in my head, that's what I used to see. That's what I used to tell myself. That was my biggest fear that people would find out. And now I realise that actually being a hairdresser was my superpower because it taught you to talk to anybody to listen to them, to learn their story, to find out what was important, and then to try and make it happen. And that's basically leadership. That's why I ended up being a successful leader for so many years, because I've got a hairdresser face. People will literally tell me anything. And now that I face whisper as well, they even tell me the things they didn't want to tell me, which is even better. But what a beautiful connection for me, so I'm a, I'm a grandson of a hairdresser. Uh, my mother cut my hair growing up, and now I'm cutting my own hair, so I'm kind of proud of that. But but my grandmother actually cut the hair of a president, right, or a, a vice president, uh, Walter Mondale, not a president, vice president Walter Mondale, who was Minnesotan and went to her little old uh, studio and she cut his hair. Brilliant. There's a humbling there's a humbling nature to a a, a barber or a haircutter that people. You've got, uh, I love that idea of haircutter face. Um, the yeah. people will tell you anything. And, and in this country, um, I, I don't know about in the UK, but in this country, um, African American communities, it, it's the whole town gathers at the bar, yeah. right? For, for, for hours and hours. And that's where the gossip happens and everything else and the deals and all that. So yeah. reading a face, cutting someone's hair, touching their head, it's kind of intimate. Right, uh, making them look good, all of those things. It it does tie together more than we're comfortable with, right? Yeah, it does. And and actually, what you you know, what I acknowledge and I really appreciate is that people are trusting me with their biggest secrets. They did when I was hairdressing. They do in what I do now. You've got to create that trusted space because when people tell you what's really important to them, when they tell you what their biggest fear is or their greatest achievement, it's like a gift. And all too often, we don't know what to do with that gift. So people give it to us and we go, oh, lovely. <laughs> we may as well have just imagined it's, a, I always imagine it's a beautiful glass ball, but I may as well just open my hands and let it shatter to the floor. So people are wanting to know that you are going to take what they're sharing with you and you're going to hold it with the same fragility that they want it to be held with and keep it safe and give it back to them. So I feel hugely privileged in all the things I've done in my career, because they've always been about people trusting me. So, you know, as, as a woman, particularly, uh, maybe it's just <laughs> as, my, as a particular woman, trusting somebody with my hair, it's not the thing I hide behind. It's the thing that like, you know, as long as it looks okay, maybe I can get away with the rest of me not looking quite so good. So when you go in and you let somebody cut this, you think about back to when you, when you were a child, 
you know, people, children are often terrified of getting their hair cut. And that's because when I cut this, sorry, for people listening, I'm just touching my arm, I cut my arm, cut my finger, it bleeds, it hurts. But even from being a child, as soon as I get in the bath, my hair's still here. And you're now taking me somewhere where someone with scissors is going to cut it. And I don't understand that when you cut this, it doesn't hurt. When you cut my hair, it doesn't hurt me. Because when you cut my skin, it does. And that's why we often get really scared children. But we don't take the time to understand that what we're, they're really doing is trusting us with something that's so fragile. So actually being respectful of the fact that that's what people are giving you and then treating it with that respect. Because I genuinely believe at our basic, we want to be listened to, understood and respected. And if we can provide that for other people, we help them to find the strength to step into being whoever it is that they're supposed to be, rather than very often people are fighting with what they think they're supposed to be rather than what they feel they should be. One more thing, Randy, and then I, I, I have to say it. So the Einstein quote, Kim Adele, is something I've never heard. And so I, I did a quick, I listened to everything you were saying almost, but I also did a quick search because, you know, I, I couldn't imagine Einstein saying something like that, but it makes total sense that like a child, Einstein was uncertain. He was a human. Was the theory of relativity really valid? Well, years and years later, it's proven to be, but it might not have been. And he was just imagining the universe uh, and, and all of that stuff. And, and I guess this, the quote you mentioned was him speaking to a close friend. Yes. As an elderly man and, and, and said this exaggerated esteem, right? Yes. It makes him ill at ease. The ex, you know, yeah, he's human. He's human saying, I'm human, you know? Well, that's, I'm human and I'm fallible. And, you know, when people start labeling you with these things, you start to think, oh my goodness, but no, I, you know, maybe I was just lucky. Maybe I came up with that one idea and it was brilliant, but maybe that is my idea for life. And <laughs> what if it's, what if my best is already out there? And you see people, and actually, fortunately now, more people are talking about imposter syndrome because one of the, one of the challenges with it as a syndrome is, that when you're in it, when you're in the throes of it, the one thing you absolutely don't want anybody to know is the fact you've got it. The fear of being found out is massive. So telling anybody you've got it is, is clearly never going to happen because then they're going to know you've got it and then you are going to be found out. But actually, one of the first steps of overcoming it is to talk about it. It's one of the reasons why myself and a couple of other people launched International Imposter Syndrome Awareness Day. Because actually, if we can raise awareness of it, if we can create a safe space where people can talk about it without feeling judged, we can help people get over it. And the pandemic is showing globally that actually it's on the increase, not on the decrease. More people are doubting their validity, doubting their, that they can continue to do what they've been doing before, particularly in that senior leadership space. So I think the more we can talk about it, the more you can see that actually not just Einstein, Oprah Winfrey, loads of people have had it. There's songs by Eminem and Justin Bieber that underlyingly talk about their imposter syndrome. So it's in all the people that you wouldn't expect it to be unless you start looking for them leaking out in the language they use. So we like to keep these interviews relatively short, but I want to finish with a, a little story and then I want to get your comment on it. I want to go back to the hairdressing thing because there's one of the – early memories I have of my childhood was sitting in the kitchen on a, on a bar stool type of thing and my neighbour would come in and he'd have had 
several drinks before he came in and he was going to cut my hair because he was a barber. Now, I understand him having several drinks because he had 13 kids and I get it, but he would come in and he would be uh, a little unsteady on his feet for a better way of explaining it. And he would come in, he would cut my hair, he would do a terrible job, my dad would pay him and he'd go off. I'd say to my parents, why? I mean, why are you getting this drunk guy coming in to cut my hair? Because it looks terrible. They said, well, the truth is that the difference between a good and a bad haircut is about two weeks. <laughs> now, if you take that analogy and compare it to coaching, the difference between a good and a bad coach is significantly more than just two weeks. And how do you overcome that when people uh, are looking at, at working with you? How do you overcome that, are you the right person for me? thing and then i'd like you to tell us who the right person for you is oh. so it's such a great point you're right i mean when it comes to hair it grows so if you make a mistake it, it grows back but actually when it comes to coaching those impacts can have much greater ripples so one of the first things i do with people that are wanting to consider working with me is say let's just have a chat because there's a very big part of picking the right coach which is do you think that you can actually trust them with your darkest secret? Because if you can't trust them with your darkest secret, they're only going to be able to scratch the surface. And actually, if you're going to invest in dealing with a coach, you want to get not at the surface, you want to get underneath. So our first conversation is very much more about that. And I have a lot of people who tell me I've got far too many coaches in my network. And I tell them in my opinion that they're wrong. I want to be helpful to everybody that comes to me. So if I'm not the right coach for them, I want to be able to say, do you know what? I know some people that probably are going to be a better fit. Let me introduce you because I know that these people have got the right qualifications. They've got the right approach that they are going to also take care of what you share with them because it is a very personal relationship. You know, we always knew it was going to be lonely at the top, but we never knew it was going to be so noisy, you know, particularly now in leadership. You know, you've got the onset of technology, you've got the increasing digitalization, you've got the demands of the board, the demands of your people, the changing environment within which your clients are operating, not to mention the pandemic. Where do these people find the time or the space to just think? And having done those roles myself, I know how hard that is because you can't go and talk to the board. They might actually lose faith in you. You can't talk to your direct reports because they're looking to you for the answer. So where do you go? So actually, for me, it's about creating that trusted friend and it's the trusted critical friend. So I say to people, you know, if you're looking for that critical best friend, the person who's going to tell you when you're getting in your own way before you get in your own way, because they've got your best interest at heart. That's the kind of coach I am. If you want somebody who is just going to chat you for half an hour and make you feel good, I'm probably not the right person because that's not going to not really going to help you it's not going to move you forward you're going to stay where you are but I think being clear to people on you know, you've got to know what your outcome is going to be if you want to have somebody who's in your corner by your side that will do that sometimes tell you to get out of your own way and other times will just listen while you're going through what you're going through and then find the path with you then that's absolutely where I play if that's not what you're looking for then actually I can introduce you to people that will be able to help you deliver what you need such a pleasure to chat with you, Kim Adele. So to kind of echo what 
uh, Randy said, where can people find you and, and who are you looking for? Um, so you can find me either on my website, which is www.kimadel.org, or I'm pretty much all over social media as Kimadel 10 or Kimadel Platz. And really what I'm looking for is leaders or organizations that are particularly wanting to level up their leadership with emotional intelligence. So the unique range of skills that I've got allow you to really connect on a much stronger level with your people and make sure that you are living your brand. So if that's you, please get in touch. And it has been a joy, Kent and Randy. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. Yeah, and I and I have to say that I'll never forget that one little piece of knowledge you gave us about the spacing of the eyes. Very interesting. And it's clear that you have that sort of third eye sensibility, right? You can see into people in a different way, and, and that's really neat. Thank you. So thank you, Kim. That was amazing. I particularly like the fact that you said my eyes were wide apart. So that was a good thing. I, I absolutely love the idea of, of the face whisperer and how that can be used to improve, how that knowledge can be used to improve communication and understanding between people. I think as we were chatting after our interview, I almost want to double down on what I said earlier. You're extraordinary. You are a gifted seer. I don't like that word coach, but it's such a, such a pleasure to talk with you. I'm sure it's extraordinary work that you do with teams and leaders and, and people can't wait to see where you go next. Now, speaking of eyes. Eyes. The eyes have it. The eyes, the, the eyes have it. And so Thought Partner Group has no eyes in the title. But if you go yeah, to sure. thoughtpartnergroup.com. Yeah, there are no eyes in the title. There's no yeah, eyes in which Thought is very, Partner Group. Yeah. Which is very unusual. So thought depart, thoughtpartnergroup.com, there's a little button that says free assessment. That also has no eyes, but has lots of ease. Click on that, fill it out, and with a great deal of ease, we'll send something back to you that I'm sure you'll enjoy reading. I feel like I need a, I need some little device. Oh, I can just pull out my phone and get the sound of a rim shot. I was just waiting for that ease comment. So if you're on easy street today, folks, um, click on subscribe and you can chill out with us all the time. Talk to you again on the next episode. Bye for now.